is Friday morning, so if I sound extra stoked and excited, I am. <laughs> I, uh, it's been a four day week, so that's been nice because of Labor Day. And um, then I have a second job and I didn't get scheduled this weekend and I'm actually pretty happy about it. Um, just been fighting a cold and just <clears throat> for a couple of weeks, I think the last podcast I made, I, I still had the cold and that was a while back. And uh, yeah, if you could just pray for me and my family. Um, I've mentioned that my wife deals with chronic health issues um, in somewhat of a they're somewhat extreme in nature, um, if you don't really know what's going on with us. Um, so, we have another podcast um, called Sojourn Soundly. So, if you want to check that out, it's anchor.fm backslash Sojourn Soundly. And um, we talk about health thing, you know, her health and our journey in that. In our relationship with God as well. But um, yeah, if you could pray for us, things are just kind of difficult right now. We're probably going to have to move real soon. We're trying to move um, and can't really find a place um, that, that my wife feels good in. She's got tons of allergies. She's got um, mold illness. And uh, we've just kind of taken a turn downward after really a really huge kind of healing season um, in our lives so that's always difficult you know <clears throat> it's always difficult to hear that someone's not doing well it's always difficult to say um, and I think in some ways it kind of makes you think about what really matters and um yeah, I don't know. You know, if I was, um, I think if we were healthy and I had time, I would want to do things like um, get more education, you know, learn Greek, um, get better at understanding the Bible and maybe write, you know, thoughtful articles and things like that. But I was telling my, my friend, um, my brother in Christ yesterday that you know, this is kind of the only way I can do things right now, and um, I really want it to be helpful to somebody. So, um, what I'm going to talk about today is very controversial, and um, but I want you to know that my heart is not to stir up controversy. Um, my heart is not to um, say, look, I have all the answers. Um, my heart on this issue is to try to make you think about some things. And the reason why I want you to think about them is because eternity is in view here. Um, and, you know, a lot of us have kids, you know. Um, I didn't really care too much about this whole debate, um, you know, nine years ago, right before I was married, didn't have kids, you know, I wasted my 20s, I would have told you I loved Jesus, but I'm not sure if I had real affection for him. Um, you can check out another episode called Michael's Story if you just want to, want to hear what happened to me there. Um, but I want to talk today about Catholicism. And I don't want to tell you what Catholics believe because I'm not a Catholic. And I always want to sit down and study enough so that I can say, hey, this is what, you know, the, the full story is on this. Um... But I do want to ask questions. 
So I'm not sure what I'll title this episode yet, but I just want to ask some questions to Catholics. So, and if you're a Protestant or something else, an atheist, whatever, um, these questions are good questions to think about um, in your context. You know, what do you believe about these things? But I want to ask Catholics this. And before, you know, I offend somebody and they turn this off or something, I just want you to keep in mind that thing about eternity. You know, we're teaching our children who God is, what he's like, what truth is. And um, we're basically teaching our children how to be saved. Um, so what are you teaching your children? Um, these questions that I'm asking, that I'm asking you, um, you know, if, if you are a, um, are a Catholic, these are things that either you're required to believe or things that really play into your practice. And, um, you know, if your child becomes the best Catholic they could possibly be, you know, what would they believe? What do you really believe? What does your church teach? And um, this is for Eastern Orthodox as well, though all the issues aren't the same. Um, a lot of the fundamental issues are still there. And um, so, yeah, let's talk about it. Um, my email is pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com. Pigeonpost2019 at gmail.com. Um, if you want to respond in some way, um, please do. I will read it um, and take it to heart. And uh, if I get something wrong, especially, um, please tell me. But like I said, I'm mostly going to be asking questions, and then you, you can decide. So the first question is, what is Scripture? What is the Bible? So the Bible, um, I think we agree... Uh, with Catholics officially that the Bible is the Word of God and I'm just gonna say that for now like if you're Catholic um, the Apocrypha doesn't really change any of what we're talking about today so it I please don't you know think that um, we disagree just because of the Apocrypha um, you know a lot of of the reformers, in my understanding, I'm not perfectly clear on this, um, you know, reformers and church fathers, you know, people just kind of agreed that it was good to read it, you know, um, so it's not like I think that either having the Apocrypha in the Bible or not having it in there really makes a difference. Um, furthermore, it's in the Old Testament, um, so, or the Old Testament area, it's before Matthew. So, in that sense, um, now the Old Testament's really important, so please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying the Old Testament's important, or that the New Testament replaces it, or anything like that. However, um, the New Testament tells us how to read the Old Testament. So, we still agree on the same 27 books in the New Testament. So, I think a lot of um, times this, this becomes like an an issue when it's really like a non-issue. Like, if you like the Apocrypha, great. Uh, if you don't, great. It doesn't really matter um, in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, so, I would say that this is a point of agreement, right? You agree that the Bible is the Word of God. Um, I agree that the Bible is the Word of God. Every Pope that's ever lived has agreed that the Bible is the Word of God, in my understanding. And so now, um, what happens functionally, and I think that's one of the kind of underlying questions underneath all these questions is, we can look at official doctrine, and sometimes that is very informative, but we also want to ask ourselves, like, what is functionally happening here, um, despite what we say um, the official doctrine is, if that makes sense, and we'll get, we'll get into that. So, with the Bible... The official doctrine is that the Bible is the Word of God, right? But the official doctrine, in my understanding, is that the church um, as a community, um, which really means the bishops, are the only ones that can really interpret the Bible, um, or that they, inter they have the final word on the interpretation of the Bible. So you can have 
personal interpretation, but that cannot conflict uh, or should not be taught as the final word on the interpretation of the Bible. And I would argue that this is one of those areas, and I would ask you to think about this. Um, if you're saying that the Bible is the word of God, but only certain people can interpret it, or people in certain positions can interpret it, um, why? Why, why? Why are you saying that? <laughs> I mean, think about this. When you read the Bible, is that what the Bible purports about itself? You know? Um, Paul is an apostle, right? And he's writing to the church and telling them things. Now, it gets kind of silly to believe that only, you know, people in authority can tell you what the Bible means. Because Paul said things like this. Have this read among the churches. Um, trade letters with the other churches and read them. Um, he told Timothy to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Now, oftentimes that reading is accompanied by an explanation, of course. That's what preaching the word is. But did Paul think that his letter could not be understood by the people that he said should listen to it? Do you know what I mean? Like if Paul says, hey, read Ephesians, then does Paul need to come back to Ephesus and interpret Ephesians because they couldn't understand it? I don't think so. I think the Bible is understandable completely understandable. In fact, if you need somebody to perform some magic tricks on the Bible so that you understand it, it's probably not true. When you see uh, the person with the charts and the graphs um, telling you that Jesus is coming back 20 years ago, uh, we don't see that as much anymore because it's ridiculous. Um, but when you see the person doing that, you're like, Wow, I never would have understood this just picking up the Bible for myself. There's no way I would have known to count the words in this chapter and go to the sixth word of every, you know, sentence. It's ridiculous, right? The Bible is understandable. Um, even when God gave Moses the law, he said, don't say that you can't understand this. I'm paraphrasing. This is understandable, right? When we read, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Paul was expecting the children listening to understand what he said. Children were listening to Ephesians. And it was completely understandable um, when it got to that part that he was addressing them, right? Paul's addressing the parents. So the church, the local body, as such, can understand the Bible. Am I saying that every person should go off and just be confident in their own understanding of scripture? No. So I do agree that there is a community aspect to understanding the Bible. But that aspect mainly comes from uh, being able to read it and talk about it with the Holy Spirit, not from a bishop or pastor who has ultimate authority. Um, pastors say wrong things all the time. And that's no reason to leave a church. I'm not saying that. Um, we all get things slightly wrong. Um, but the basic interpretation of Scripture is simple. It's really simple to understand. If Scripture says it, there it is. That's what it means. It means what it means. Um, now, you, there, I'm not trying to make light of all the work that goes into understanding scripture. First of all, you need to read everything because everything needs to cohere. So if you take something out of context, um, like Joel Osteen does with verses, you can make a mean whatever you want to mean. Um, but uh, we're talking about studying a book of the Bible, uh, reading the entire Bible through, uh, understanding the grammatical nature of the language, uh, looking at the historical context, so first off, I want to encourage you as a Catholic that if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, 
you can read it and understand it for yourself. Um, and that's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, I think Catholics even encourage Bible study these days. And so I would say, do it, you know, pick it up, read it, understand it. It's not against your doctrine to read it, to read the Bible. Um, now, if you look at historically, the Catholic Church was very against for a while, excuse me, people having the Bible in their own language and reading it. Um, so I would encourage you to look at that. But overall, I think we agree that the Bible is the Word of God, so we should read it and obey it. And I think the point of divergence there is you don't need a bishop to tell you what a verse means. Um, you need to do a lot of studying. Um, and maybe you want to know what that bishop says about it. But then you test all things against Scripture. Now, I can prove this to you. Uh, if you go to Acts, I don't know what chapter it is. I think it's 17, but I'm not entirely sure. It's, it's one of the teens. Um, when Paul brought the gospel to people in Berea, um, the Bible says that they didn't just believe what he said. Now look at that. Is there anyone greater than an apostle? And the people did not believe, just take his word for what he said about Jesus. And the Bible says this is a good thing, okay? So, what did they do? How can not listening to an apostle be a good thing? What did they do? It says they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul is saying is true. They searched the scriptures to see if what the apostle Paul, the guy who was writing the New Testament, <laughs> they searched to see if what he was saying was true. And the Bible says in Acts that they were noble for doing this. So the Bible itself praises testing things against the Bible. So you can't go wrong by opening the Bible and testing it. Test what I say, test what you think, test what the TV preacher says, test what your bishop or priest says, Test what the Pope says. Um, test everything against the Word. Because as we all agree, the Word is the ultimate authority. Okay, so um, next thing, um, next question to ask you. Um, how is someone made right before God? How is someone made right before God? And when I say right, I mean completely right. How are the guilty made innocent or justified before God? You know, in, in Genesis, we see that um, Adam and Eve sinned, right? And they were supposed to die. But God takes the initiative. He punishes them, but he also... Um, the implication is that he killed a lamb or some kind of animals, um, possibly a goat, or we don't really know, I think, what animal it was. But he made them skins to wear. So he made them clothes. He clothed their nakedness. Um, in Genesis 15, I believe it is, um, God makes a promise to Abraham. And Abraham... Uh, or the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The belief in what God said because Abraham believed by faith, God counted him as righteous. Paul picks this up in Galatians and Romans in his whole argument that we are saved by faith and not by works. Um, now, I have another episode where I talk about, uh, I think it's called Scripture, Faith, and Catholicism, where I talk more about that. Um, so I'd encourage you to, to check that out, um, because I think there's a whole argument 
that the works Paul's talking about is works of the law. So it's Paul's not arguing that good works don't save you. He's our sacraments don't save you. He's arguing that works of the Old Testament law don't save you. Um, and basically, I go into detail there. I'll just say briefly. That makes no sense to say that because Abraham uh, existed before the law of Moses. So if Paul was trying to make an argument against the law of Moses, he would have used Moses as the example. Uh, the law of Moses did not exist before when Abraham was walking around. So if Paul goes to Abraham to prove something, then the works that he's talking about uh, are not works of the law because Abraham wouldn't try to save himself through works of the law. Um, that's the short story on that. So I'm sorry, but that doesn't work. Uh, to say that Paul's just talking about Mosaic Law, because he's not. Um, so, um, you've got Abraham being saved by faith, you've got Paul affirming that um, in the New Testament, and so I encourage you just to look at Romans 10.9. Um, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So a confession, a belief in the heart of uh, Jesus being Lord, dying for your sins, rising again, this is what saves us. Um, if we look in John 3, um, Jesus says you must be born again. Um, so there is a spiritual new birth that has to happen for us to be a part of the kingdom or to even see the kingdom of God. Um, otherwise, we are blind um, we uh, are in need of healing. Uh, we are like dead people walking around, Ephesians chapter 2. So I encourage you, read Ephesians chapter 2. Read the first, you know, 10 or 11 chapters of Romans. Uh, read Galatians. And uh, like I said, you'll see any... It will just be obvious to you that, you know, we're saved by faith. And so I ask you... I know that some Catholics believe this, and I rejoice in that. But so I ask you, like, um, just personally, like, what makes someone right before God? Now, I had a friend who was a Protestant, and he left um, his church or his his Protestant expression of faith. I don't know how best way to say this. Um, he left that for Catholicism because he wanted his child baptized. And I guess he thought that that baptism would do something for them, would save them in some sense. Um, <clears throat> Now, you can find a verse in the Bible that says baptism saves you. <laughs> uh, but the very next phrase says not the removal of dirt from the body. So it's not talking about the act of baptism being salvific in any sense, um, but talking about what the representation of baptism is. Um, you can see this when Paul talks about baptism. He says you were buried with him. In baptism, he doesn't mean that you were physically buried with him. Um, baptism is a symbol which represents a truth, and it uh, all indications from Scripture that somebody knows what's happening and can remember what ha what happened when they were baptized and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, it doesn't really support um, an idea that we're saved by baptism. So, um, I would ask you, like, what does but does your church believe makes you right before God? Um, does baptism make you right before God? Does taking um, uh, the Eucharist make you right before God? I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've talked to different Catholics that believe different things. So um, I'd encourage you just to see, like, what does my church really believe about this? Is this what I really believe about this? Um phone doing something weird here. Sorry about that. Um, 
So yeah, what makes you right before God? That's a huge question, and that's the question that I address on most of these things that I do, um, because that's the gospel. And it's the most important question. What makes a person right before a holy, just God? We could probably talk about that a lot longer, but I want to get some more questions out. Um, I don't think I'm going to finish this before I get to work, so I'll probably have to pick it up after, in the afternoon. Okay, um, my next question is really related to the last question, and that is, uh, whatever you think makes you right before God, great, okay. Um, where do you go when you die? Um, so we might have answered the previous question by saying, I think that Jesus makes me right before God. I think his work on the cross makes me right before God. Great, we agree on that. Maybe you're one of those Catholics that believes that you're saved by faith in the work of Christ and that that's the only thing that saves you. That's awesome. Um, so I'd first ask, like, does your church actually teach that? Like your church big C, like the official doctrine of the Catholic Church? Um, the next thing I would ask is, what happens when you die then? Um, from everything I've read, <clears throat> and you can correct me if I'm wrong or send me an email or think about you know what you've heard, uh, nobody has assurance that they're, um, that they're really going to be with God when they die. Um, what seems most likely uh, as a Catholic, I'm speaking from a Catholic, what I've heard from Catholics and Catholic point of view. What seems most likely is that you will go to purgatory. Um, and I've heard different things about purgatory, um, whether it's painful or not, it seems to be up for debate, depending on whether you look at old sources or newer things that people say. Try to paint it as not being a painful, hellish type place. Uh, but the point still stands. Um, where do you go when you die? Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that at that point, all the sufferings and things of this life would be changed into glory instantaneously. That we would um, basically not have anything else um, to be any other thing to be redeemed from, that we would be whole and new. Um, is that what purgatory is? I don't, I don't know from what I've heard. Um, so I encourage you to look into that. You know, what, what do you believe? What does your church teach? Do they teach that you can help people get out of purgatory? And then does that compromise what we just talked about, about like what makes a person right before God? Is it, is it penance? Is it sacraments? Is it saying mass or prayers for them or rosaries? Like, I don't know. I don't know what you believe and I don't want to tell you what you believe, but I want to ask you, what makes a person right before God? And, um, where do you go when you die? And that's all I got time for now. So we'll pick it up. In the afternoon. Hello, welcome back to Pigeon Post. You can probably hear the rain and the thunder and the windshield wipers. <laughs> uh, time flies when you're doing a podcast. Just 10 seconds ago, I was starting my morning and uh, now I'm back with you. Um, so I'm driving home in the rain. It's a rainy day here in um, Aurora, Parker, Colorado, on my way back to Castle Rock. But I wanted to read this before I actually pull out of this parking lot. Um, in Jeremiah 7.18, um, I'm going to read this to you. All I did here was I typed in Queen of Heaven Bible into <clears throat> Google. And it pulled up a Bible verse out of Jeremiah. This isn't the only one. You have to do a little uh, searching, but you can find some other verses about the Queen of Heaven. So this might be surprising to you, but the Bible does say something about the Queen of Heaven. So 
Here it goes. Um, Jeremiah 7.18. I think this is a direct quote. Let's see. Where is it? Sorry for all the dead time here. Uh, let me pause this. I want to make sure I'm not reading like a bad um, a bad quote. Let me make sure I'm getting the direct quote. Hang on. Okay, I didn't want to take Google's word for it, but I think it was a good quote. So I pulled up my Bible app. Jeremiah 7. I'll start in 17. So this is 17 and 18. Uh, I'll read 19 too. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Uh, there, verse 20, I guess, as well. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field, and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a few other places, at least one other place that mentions uh, the Queen of Heaven. I think maybe again in Jeremiah or possibly in Ezekiel, but you'd have to look that up to confirm it. So, why did I read that to you? Well, I think we're going to title the podcast um, Questions for Catholics and Orthodox. And um, so we started in the first segment asking, this morning, asking questions about, number one, the Bible. So, like, is the Bible the Word of God? And we agree that it is. So, if it is, what are the implications of that? Um, the implications that we can believe the, what the Bible says and read it and see and be corrected by it, right? And that we don't, we might need a community in some sense, but we don't need um, specialized uh, people to tell us what it means. And, and if they are telling us what it means, is it conflicting with what the Bible itself says, right? Uh, the second thing we asked was, um, how can we be saved? Like, how can we be made right before God? And so we talked about that. And so these are, this is where, you know, um, what I would call biblical Christianity, or if you want to use the word Protestant or evangelical, but I would just like to stick with, let's just see what the Bible says rather than a denomination. So this is where uh, I think Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy start veering away from what the Bible says. Uh, first, you're not able to really read it for yourself. You have to take someone else's word for it. Um, secondly, um, the message of salvation is different. Um, uh, or at least I think it is. I'll let you answer that question for yourself. Um, I'm really here to ask questions uh, on this particular episode. Um, so the next question I would ask is, um, is there uh, a justification for the elevation of Mary? Um, she has such titles as co-redemptrix, um, the co-mediatrix, so um, those are just female forms of the words mediator and redeemer which are titles that belong to Christ. And I would argue that they belong to Christ alone. So you see that, um, you know, this idea of Mary participating in our redemption. And when I've heard this explained, um, and if you're Catholic, you know, you can think about the times that you've maybe heard about this. Um, it gets explained that, you know, because she said yes, you know, to um, God's quest that she uh, bear the Messiah, that means that she is participating in our redemption. Well, I think that's quite a stretch um, because there are a lot of people that participated 
in similar ways in our redemption. I mean, Pontius Pilate participated in our redemption by crucifying Christ. Um, there are a lot of circumstances and things that went into our redemption. And I understand the desire to give Jesus' mother a special place. But I just want to ask, is that what the Bible teaches? In fact, is that what Jesus himself teaches about his own mother? Um, there is a story in Luke. Um, I can't remember the passage. I think it's chapter 17, maybe chapter 7. I feel like there's a 7 in there somewhere. Um, or maybe 12. Anyway, um, you can look it up. Where a woman in the crowd, while Jesus is teaching or healing, while he's doing ministry, a woman says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus would have had a great opportunity there to affirm this kind of elevation of Mary. I mean, all the woman was doing was saying that Mary was blessed, which didn't the angel say that in Luke? You know, blessed art thou among women. So the woman wasn't doing anything crazy. She was just recognizing that Jesus' mother was special, right? But Jesus quickly deflects away from that. Instead of embracing that kind of ongoing um, elevation of his mother, um, he gives her no special role. In fact, he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And even if you read it in a translation where it doesn't say blessed rather, but also blessed, um, the point still stands that um, Mary is not given a special place. She's just like anybody else who hears the word of God and obeys it. He definitely doesn't elevate his mother to participating as a redeemer with him. A co-redeemer. I want you to think about that phrase for a while. Co-redeemer. We're going to call another human being the co-redeemer with the Son of God? I don't think so. Um, and how about co-mediator or co-mediatrix? Um, I've even heard mediatrix of all graces. Um, brothers and sisters, the Bible says there is one God, 1 Timothy 2.5 I believe it is, one God and one mediator between God and men, the man the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says one mediator between God and men. There's not another mediator in front of the one mediator. And I think that the, the kinds of explanations that I hear about this are explanations that make really no sense. And, um, I don't understand how we can buy explanations like this. So the explanation would be, well, yes, Jesus is the one mediator, and Mary is participating in his mediation. Um, that basically negates the whole phrase, Jesus is the one mediator. I mean, why, why is God saying, Jesus is the one mediator, and then out of the other side of his mouth saying, but there's another mediator, but she's just participating in Jesus' mediation. I mean, we could do that all day, right? Um, it sounds like a politician talking, right? Like, um, Jesus, you're the one redeemer. Uh, but I have another redeemer named Mary, but of course she's just participating in your redemption. Um, this is what idolatry is, right? Is taking things that belong to God, specifically things that titles that belong to Christ and works that only Christ does and giving them or sharing them with Mary, who was a sinful human being like everybody else. And that is another point of difference. How many sinless people have ever lived how many sinless people have ever lived? Let me ask you, what do you teach your children when you teach them about Christ? 
Do you teach them that he is the only sinless person that ever lived? Or do you teach them that also his mother was sinless as well? Um, this is, I don't understand how we, how we were going there with this. If anybody is still listening at this point and you're Catholic, I just want to ask you a question and I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, to be offensive. In fact, hopefully this will be the least offensive question. I just want to ask you like in your heart, are you Catholic because you have been convinced by the word of God? Or are you Catholic because that's what you are? Right? Are you, are you Catholic because you were raised Catholic and it feels good to be doing what your parents are doing and to not disappoint your parents and to get your children baptized and for them to have godparents and have the First Communion and all these traditions is that why you're Catholic? We need to be, need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We need to listen to his word. Jesus says, blessed rather, I mean, imagine the woman saying, blessed are the Baptist. And Jesus would say, oh, hang on. <laughs> blessed are those rather who hear the word of God and obey it. Or if the woman said, blessed are the Protestants, Jesus would say, hold on, yeah, okay, I, I get that they're blessed, right, um, in some sense, but we're, Jesus is cutting through uh, the elevation of a person or a denomination. I mean, what does Paul say? I think it's in Corinthians where he says, you know, you're, you're saying like, I am of this guy, I am of this guy. And Paul's like, that's not good. You need to just say, I am of Christ. And so how can we say I am of Christ if we're following the traditions of men? And it's not bad to have traditions, but if those traditions are taking away from what the word of God says about Jesus and brother and sister, I think that it's very clear that the teaching on Mary is just beyond defense. It's indefensible. Um, let, let, let's talk about one more thing. I'm trying to give you things to think about and I would challenge you if you're about to like hit stop right now, you've had enough. Why do these questions scare you? Why, why, are, why can you not answer these questions and live with those answers? Let me ask you this. If that verse that I read about the Queen of Heaven is is talking about, it is talking about foreign gods or different gods, um, things that um, the Israelites should not be doing. So if you didn't catch that, you can go back and read uh, Jeremiah 7, 18. These are things that Israel was not supposed to be doing because there is no Queen of Heaven. This is a uh, false God and elsewhere in the Bible it says that uh, Paul says that they sacrificed to demons which were not God so behind every false God is not just nothing there is something that's being worshipped and that something is a fallen angel called a demon so that means that when the Israelites were sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven it wasn't that they were doing just something harmless and they could have been doing something better. It was that they were actually participating in the worship of demons. Now, uh, let me ask you this. What are all these apparitions of Mary that happen? Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of this, Our Lady of that. You go back and you read those stories. Mary shows up to somebody. She has them do something or supposedly perform some miracle and then there's all kinds of weird things attached to that like um, I've read recently about the brown scapular, I think it's called. Um, look that up. Um, that's very strange. Okay. Um, think about the message that 
these apparitions bring and how it takes the focus off of Christ and puts it on Mary. But let me ask you, is it possible that somebody, something did show up posing as Mary to these people? It is possible, right? What does Paul say? Paul says, even if an angel comes to you, don't believe them if they bring a different gospel. Don't believe them if they bring a different gospel than the one that Paul brought, even if it's an angel. What else does the Bible say? That Satan comes as an angel of light. Now, if these apparitions are coming in the name of Mary and some new order of devotion, devotion to the whoever comes about, there's all these different devotions in Catholicism, right? What is happening there? I'll leave that question with you. I think I've said enough about it. Is it possible that there's demonic spirits that are doing this in the name of Mary and Mary has nothing to do with it. Protestants don't hate Mary. Mary is a saint. Well, we're all saints. She's part of the great cloud of witnesses uh, that, that Hebrews tells us about. They're a great cloud of witnesses. They're not helping us. Okay? Hebrews says that angels help us but not the witnesses, not people that have gone before us. Um, which leads me to the next question. Uh, why or what biblical basis do we have to pray and ask for help from people other than God? When, G when the disciples asked how to pray, Jesus said, our Father, so that is who it's acceptable to pray to, is the Father, right? It's also acceptable to pray to the Son because he's God. Paul says he asked Christ to take away his thorn in the flesh. So it's acceptable and good to speak with Christ. So we speak with anyone who is God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, Right? The Trinity is a good thing. It's a good thing that Catholics have a strong view of the Trinity. But what I ask you is, is that view of the Trinity not undermined by the focus being taken away from the Father? So the focus is taken away from the Father, who you're supposed to be praying to, and that attention is no longer His, but is given to saints and people that have gone before who brother and sister they don't have the power to hear you okay they would have to have the attributes of God think about how many people are praying to these saints at the same time oh the rain's really coming down here so is the saint now empowered with omniscience that they're able to hear these things that everyone is saying. They know what's going on all over the world. We're told nowhere in scripture that that's true. In fact, here's what Paul says when he thinks he's about to die. He says, I want to go be with Christ. I don't want to be here. I want to be with Christ in my heart. That's where I want to be. This is what Paul is saying, right? But he says, it's better for me if I stay here so that I can help you. Now I want you to think about this. Paul thought that the only way that he could help those churches was to stay. To stay alive here. But how much hindrance did Paul have? He was in prison. He had to send letters. He didn't have any way of helping them when he died. That was Paul's opinion, that when Paul died, he wouldn't have a way to help his brothers and sisters in Christ, right? 
Now, if Paul knew that he could become a saint in the Catholic view and then help people, or if Paul knew that, um, you know, it would help people to maybe have something that he had, some relic that he had, or his bones could be like, you know, held in this glass case, which this happens in the Orthodox Church, and I believe to some degree in the Catholic Church as well, Paul would have said something like this, hey, I'm going to depart and be with God, but you can still pray to me. Pray to me and that will help you. I will give you help through my prayers when I'm gone, right? Or he would have said, hey, make sure that you take care of my bones and distribute a little piece of my bone to all the different churches and then you'll have a relic from me and that will be a way that I can help you and protect you and stuff like that. Or light a candle with my picture on it. Paul didn't say any of these things because these things are made up, right? So there's, there's the question for you, like where in the Bible is the elevation of Mary and the saints? Where in the Bible is the elevation of Mary and the saints? Well, this rain is just like crazy. All right. Okay, so um, I think I've given you some things to think about. I hope I have. We've talked about salvation. Um, we don't really need to talk about all the sacraments because that pretty much falls under the category of salvation. How is a person saved? Is a person saved by receiving these sacraments? So there are other points of divergence that we could talk about, um, but that's really not necessary. Uh, we could talk about the Pope and you know his ability to be um, infallible, um, but that is really not necessary either because we talked about the Bible having the final say. So Pope's and Bishop's authority, um, that sort of gets relegated to being underneath the Word of God, um, which was the first question that we talked about. So I think these are the big things that, that you can ask yourself. How am I saved? Or excuse me, that's the second one. But is the Bible the Word of God and what are the implications? How am I saved? And what does the Catholic Church teach? By the way, there's a verse that I really wanted to mention. Um, I forgot to mention this morning, but it came into my mind this afternoon. Um, I think it's uh, Titus 3.5. Um, I don't want to try to quote it because uh, I, I think I'll mess it up. But if you look at that, it says that we're clearly not saved by works. And that's not the only place it says that I mentioned other places earlier. Um, so how are we saved is a big question. And then the question about Mary and the saints. Um, now I've got a little bit more time, so uh, I want to mention just a couple more things. Um, if you'll just bear with me, a couple more things. Um, I'd like you to look into this if you've never thought about it. Uh, one question is, how many ways do you think there are to heaven? And I'm guessing that um, even if you're Catholic, if you're a great Catholic, um, that hopefully, I would guess that my Catholic friends and acquaintances would say that Jesus is the only way of salvation. But I want to ask you, do you know if that's really what your church teaches? Um, I'd like you to look into the documents from Vatican II and uh, if you don't have time to do that, you can just look up Pope Francis' prayer intentions. Um, there is a video. If you type in Pope Francis' prayer intentions, other religions, or something like that in YouTube, there's a video of Pope Francis encouraging uh, Buddhists, Muslims, um, Hindus, and Christians to all pray together. Um, if you look up documents and statements from Vatican II, uh, you will see that there is an affirmation, I think it's even in the Catechism, that Muslims worship the same God that we do. 
And I want to ask you, because I believe that many Catholics are Christians, so please don't misunderstand me. I believe that if your faith is in Christ alone for your salvation, not in the church, not in the sacraments, not in anything Mary can do for you, I think there's a lot of Catholics that have a simple saving faith in spite of their church teaching the wrong thing. Or maybe you have a priest that um, is kind of off the rails and is actually teaching uh, something against the church. That's good. Um, I would guess that you are probably um, not comfortable with the idea that other religions worship the same God and that you should be praying with them or joining with them in that kind of thing. Um, but that is what Pope Francis is promoting, and that is part of Vatican II uh, for, you know, the last almost 100 years or so. Um, so please look into that. If you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven in your heart, you know that's true. Um, you know that John 14, 6 is true. Um, please see, hey, is that what my church teaches? Like, that there's other people... Uh, going to heaven, uh, not through the work of Christ at all. Um, so yeah, uh, look into that, please. Um, there was one more thing that I wanted to mention, and this is perhaps a sensitive topic, but I think we would be wrong to not mention it, because it's wrong to act like victims don't exist. Um, I want you to think about all the movements that are happening right now. Uh, the Me Too movement, um, uh, which I think these movements are in many ways good things uh, for this awareness and this, uh, this voice to basically say, hey, this is not okay. It's not okay for people to be victims. Um, of especially sexual crimes and I want to I want to ask you this might be the hardest thing that I'm asking you to do the hardest question that I'm asking you to ask yourself as a Catholic but have you really dug in to what the church has covered up over the years now I know every church um, or every denomination, every religion has their scandals. But I want you to think about and to please look up the kind of cases that have been either dismissed because they were so long ago or covered up for a long enough time uh, by a collaboration of bishops or priests and I want you to ask yourself, is this a mark of the church of Christ? Because it's almost like there's a higher standard. If you're going to claim, see, I'm not claiming that I go to the one true church, but Catholicism, the Roman Catholic church does claim to be the one true church. If you're going to claim that you're the one true church that has all truth and you have more of the truth and the knowledge and the power and you have these things that other churches don't have I think it's a really important question to ask if that is the case why all the sexual abuse and not only the sexual abuse but the cover-ups why the cover-ups I don't want to end on that note, <clears throat> so I want to stop right here by saying a couple of things positive. Um, if you are Catholic and you've stuck with me through this, first of all, I want to thank you for listening. I am not greatly informed. I can't like quote you the documents off the top of my head. I, at my old house, I had a lot of source material. Um, that I could reference. Um, I also don't have a lot of time to compile that. So that's why in some sense in this podcast, I'm trying to cover a lot of things, but I'm, I'm doing it with enough confidence to say, if you look into these things, 
I think you'll find something. And I would encourage you to do that and think about those things. And even if you don't look into any of the of your source documents or try to verify things that I've questioned or said, I hope it encourages you to at least read the Word. And uh, I'm sure you're already reading the Word. I'm not trying to imply that Catholics don't read the Word. I know that they do. But I just encourage you to read large chunks of the Bible in context and to ask yourself if this is what the church looks like. When you look at the Bible, when you look at the Catholic Church, is that what it looks like? But I want to thank you for being patient with me. Um, I know that I have a lot of work to do just with my own methods of presentation and there's been times that I've offended people in the past and I just want you to know that that's not my intent. Um, I love you and I want to see you with Christ alone, um, not with any compromise. You know, Paul said says that he wants the church to be as a pure virgin devoted to Christ and not to be led astray from a sincere devotion. And, uh, you know, Paul many times mentions speculations. And so I think if we look into these things and we don't come up with a, a concrete answer, but if these things are plausible but not verifiable, if they're just speculations that may or may not be true, why devote yourself to them? Why not let them go and have a simple devotion to Christ? Um, I can tell you it's very freeing. Uh, so I want to say a couple positive things about uh, Roman Catholics um, before I um, before I kind of sign off here. Uh, one one thing I would like to say is that I think it's great that Roman Catholics are so pro-life. Um, that is definitely something that we agree about, um, and I think that the more vocal um, Christians of any stripe can be, uh, the better. Um, and I think that that is something that is really good that I see um, some Catholics doing, is being pro-life and speaking up for the unborn. Um, I also want to say that my grandma and grandpa were Roman Catholic uh, their whole life. Um, my grandmother, I think both of them had Roman Catholic funerals, um, but I do want to mention that near the end of their lives, not really the end, but they had heart surgeries, and both of them had heart surgeries at different times, and my dad, who grew up Catholic but was never devoted to anything, um, he was saved when he was, um, I guess, like 20 or something like that. And uh, when they had their heart surgeries, um, he preached the gospel to them and they accepted. And I do want to say that my grandfather in particular had a real change in his heart that happened. Um, he started telling us that he loved us every time that he saw us. He started praying over his meals. Um, I, even doing the sign of the cross, um, you know, he started being devoted to the Lord um, in ways that I didn't see before. I saw a real change in his heart, and I just want to testify to that, that that came about by the preaching of the gospel, and I know that that's not the only time this has ever happened. I've spoken to many people. Um, people, uh, family members, friends, um, a guy I work with, uh, worked with a few years back, I know his mother was saved out of the Catholic Church, and, um, I just want to ask you, like, have you ever heard about someone being saved out of the Catholic Church, and why does that happen? Um, so, I think one positive note there is that there are some good things that are taught about God in the Catholic Church. Um, there are some good things in the liturgy um, that we can learn from. But I just think that these questions are worth asking. 
and I want to encourage you that if you come to a conclusion that's different from your church to um, sorry I'm getting emergency alert on my phone but to please consider um, moving on um, to some to something that will teach you the Bible and help you know God um, in a better and truer way and if the message of salvation is different if you come to that conclusion that the message of salvation itself is different um, you, you have to follow Christ and I know that's going to be hard uh, to go against maybe what your parents or friends believe but Jesus said if you don't hate your father and mother and brother and sister even your own life uh, well, I, I might have misquoted that. I think he said your children or I don't, basically all of your family relations. If your love for Christ in comparison to those um, doesn't call you out of those things, um, Jesus says you're not worthy of him. So you have to be willing to leave everything for Christ. And um, so I think I've said enough. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to me for so long. I know this went really long and I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.